Hey, Internet, welcome to the Year of Our Lord 2022. Uh, it is time for episode number 153 of the Comic Watchers Show. I'm your host, Matt. With me, as always, is Mike, Mighty Mighty Mike Akins. How is life in your corner of the world, sir? Uh, rainy. Other than that, we are happy and healthy. Um, we are expected to get 0.4 inches of snow on Friday. Whoa. So um, my, portion, my portion of the eastern seaboard is due to close down for the next six months. Yes, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, we're, we're getting a nice little cold blast here in the Sooner State tomorrow. It will be about 22, 23 degrees, but it will feel like minus four degrees. So good times. Um, it will be about a 36-hour ordeal. I'm sure the entire state, at least half of it, maybe 60% will completely shut down. This yeah. is par for the course for us. Like we, we have routinely the shittiest, least predictable weather in the entire country. And yet we're never prepared for any of it never. So, except for tornado season. And that's when our porches get the best use because we all sit on the porch and watch the fun. So yeah. Yes. Yeah, screw welcome that. To Oklahoma. Um, one this, tornado. And the last thing I want to do is be on a front porch watching that mf or so listen yeah. I'll, I'll tell you i've lived here my entire life all 41 right. years of it and i've never personally gone through a tornado so people who think that we're just constantly ducking and covering from uh na mother nature's wrath you're <laughs> vastly mistaken came very close once yeah um but it veered off northwardly for no apparent reason and that was the end of it so um yeah. So uh, this week we didn't have a guest because it's nope. the holidays and people are busy and they, you know, they don't want to talk to us. So mm -hmm. it's hard to book people, but we love them anyway. And we're going to get some awesome guests lined up soon enough. Uh, Cody. And um, so having said that, we thought it'd be nice to start the year off looking back at the last year, a sort of year in review, although we wanted to really keep it positive. Um, you know, 2021, dumpster fire of a year for a lot of reasons huh? but you know what there were still a lot of good things to be had yeah. and uh we prefer to just celebrate the positive so um without further ado these are our favorite things 2021 it's not just comic related it could be movies it could be tv it could be music um it could be hair gel it could be hair gel slash pomade and uh or or beard tamer um <laughs> Beard wash, beard oil, you know, totes, you know. Totes, or beard, beard pomade, whatever you want to call it. Listen, I'm telling you, I used to, my beard was not as mighty as yours, yeah, but I've had the whole thing going and it, it you're just, you're working it. So, <laughs> um, you know, fathers lock up your daughters, except my experience. <laughs> Happily yeah, yeah. for 20 yeah. years now. Yeah, because yeah, but if he weren't, <laughs> yeah, because everyone's gonna hunker over a 43-year-old nerd that reads comic books. Yeah. Hey, in case you hadn't heard, we took over the world a few years ago. Sure, we did. And yeah, co-opted sure. everything. Yeah. Thanks, so, MCU. <laughs> absolutely. So um, Mike, what what was one of what was your first favorite thing of 2021? <laughs> You know, I, I think my first favorite thing, um, and I, I don't know if it's first, but I think this is something that sticks out for me, um, is Bliss number eight. And I'm, I'm going to try to talk through this without getting so emotional. 
Um, but we've done numerous shows where I've talked about Bliss. I've talked about Sean Lewis and Caitlin Yarsky and that team that I absolutely just love. Um, and Bliss, they, they, they made a comic, they made a series that was just so good. You right. know, I, I think you, you have a mix of like mythology, you have a mix of real life without it being overzealous, without it reaching too much. Um, and knowing how Sean Lewis writes, you know, you, you, you read each issue and you're like, okay, there has to be something more. And as you read, mm -hmm. it, and as you read each issue, is, is sorry, um, you, you, you saw um, the story of Benton, the father, kind of unfold. And, you know, Bliss was, for those who may not know, uh, yeah. Bliss, um, was, I, think, I think this one flew under a lot of people's radar. So real quick, um, Bliss was a, is, was, however you want to put it, a drug uh, that you took that made you forget the bad things that you've done, but at the same time, you were hurting the people um, that you loved, you know? And, and, and I mean, probably so many people could relate to that mm -hmm. and maybe kind of mold that into their own uh, personal narrative, if you will. Um, but what really caught me with with eight, whew, which wow. was the series finale, correct? Yeah, the series finale was um, about halfway through. I'm sorry, not halfway through the end. Once the story wrapped up, there was about two, maybe three pages of these sketches that Sean Lewis did. I don't know. If, let, me, let me not say Sean Lewis did, but there was these sketches um, that were in the back of the uh, of issue eight where it kind of talked through Sean Lewis's, what he went through, mm -hmm. uh, dealing with, you know, his family, his father, um, and how he wants to raise his son and stuff like that. Um, and coming from um, a, a, a <laughs> excuse me, um, a home that was kind of broken up by alcoholism and stuff like that, um, that really resonated with me. And so I remember when I was writing the review for eight, it, it, that, that review took on a different meaning, you know, sure. and that review um, was probably, and still is probably the most personal review that I wrote for comicwatch.com. Um, there was probably about three or four rewrites to that review sure. um, that I, 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 it was almost like a diary message almost, you know? Um, and I, I just remember tweeting to to Sean Lewis and Caitlin Yarsky um, and tagging Image Comics and everyone that would just read a tweet. Um, I, I, I talked about Bliss all throughout the series. I was bummed that it was kind of halfway canceled and stuff like that. Um, but then they picked it up because they were doing, they were going to pick it up. They were going to pick it up the last four issues, but it was going to be collected. So it was gonna, like you were going to have the first half in single uh, floppies and then the last half you were going to have collected but it turns out image was like no you know everything's starting to pick up after covid kind of starting to get tamed sure, sure. and we started getting comics back on the shelves and so we started getting bliss back again and so uh, back to that review um i yeah i just remember man that like i don't think to this day and i, I remember flipping through my long boxes and stuff i don't think that have ever had a comic touch me in the way that that not only the, the series touched me, but 
but bliss eight, you know, just those certain sections, you know, and then you, you, you go back and you read it and you read the story of Ben and you read his struggles and stuff like that. And it's kind of hard not to sit here and go, what person wouldn't do that? You know, what person wouldn't kind of take those extra steps and you're not thinking of the danger, you're not thinking of the people that you're hurting. You just want to make it better because that's, that's your job. You want it. You want the good life for your family. You want the good life for your home, but to what ends, you know, and you don't see who you're hurting. Right. And so that issue, that whole series, um, and, and we'll talk about other, other books and we'll talk about, you know, music and uh, what music, you know, movies and whatever. But to me, just looking at my notes over here and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like looking at the different things and <clears throat> excuse me. And I think bliss, not only as a series, but especially issue eight really sticks out as that highlight. Like if there was something that I was going to constantly, that wasn't like on like a Pearl Jam CD or something like that. Um, it, it, it was bliss. And I, I still find myself going through those floppies and, and, and reading those and not even really reading those. Sometimes just you want to look at a panel or you remember a panel or something that maybe Sean Lewis had wrote about, but you're not sure of the issue or something. And it's kind of, kind of right. at you a little bit. And so you're flipping through and then you go through it and like, God, well, I've already read like four or five pages of issue five. Well, let me stop it. Let me reread. And now you're rereading the series again. And, and yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's a, then that's, that's not a massively time consuming thing. Right. I mean, it's, it reads relatively quick and not to its detriment or anything. I mean, it's still a well-crafted story. Absolutely. All across the board. Yeah. So and, yeah. And uh, like, you know, I, I went into bliss based on your recommendation and your reviews. Right. Um, and it was, you know, I wasn't familiar with either creator at the time. So I had no idea what to expect. I really didn't know what it was about. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, my buddy's talking about this kick-ass comic. Yeah. I'm going to check it out. And and we did an arc review on it on the show mm -hmm. as well earlier this year. And so I went in there and, you know, I didn't have the same home experiences that you did that to lean on, but all of my musical heroes are, are dead because yeah. of drugs. Sure. So, sure. Like, um, for, for the most part. So, I mean, like you, I could definitely identify with the sense of desperation and isolation. And I mean, let's be clear. A lot of my friends um, that are still my friends to this day have, or are still um, grappling with substance abuse issues. So, I mean, this is definitely something that I can relate to, but in a different way than, than you. So yeah, yeah. To, to be able to see it and be able to thread that narrative through the lens of, a family life and thinking you've got a family, a stable family, but really you're hurting him and you don't even realize it like that. That whole narrative was extremely powerful and really just well-crafted. And yeah. I think like to, to repeat something I said earlier, mm -hmm. bliss is one of those things that I think just flew under a lot of people's radar this year. I think, it, is. I think it did. It deserves to be talked about because it's a fantastic yeah. comic. It really is. Know? And the one thing I love and one thing I, 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 I read about bliss and previews and I was like, okay, you know, Sean Lewis. Okay. You know, you're good. And Kaylin, mm -hmm. you know, she's fairly new at this point. 
it sounds neat. It, it's image. And I'm kind of a, I'll, I'll read almost every image book almost once just because I, I, I enjoy yeah. uh, their product. You know, at this point, the, the, the volume of quality right. in their product generally speaks for itself. It's sure. rare that you read something from image. And even if it's not necessarily from you for you, you're like, okay, this still has merit, right? It's sure. rare that right. you read something from image. And it's like, God, that was just ass. Right. And and even if you don't like the floppies, maybe like, well, I'll wait on this and maybe I'll read it right as a collected version and maybe it'll 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 vibe a little bit better. And yeah. and most of the time that's the case. But with with Bliss, what kind of caught my eye first and foremost was Caitlin Yarsky's covers, her art. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because at this point, like I said, I I I knew about Sean Lewis, I didn't know about Caitlin Yarsky. But to me, her art now, as I start, I'm starting to follow her, and now I'm starting to pick up books. Like I, I'm starting to get into more of the uh, the Black Hammer stuff because she's working on Black Hammer and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And to me, her art is very distinctive. To me, I'm not trying to say like, oh, she's like, you know, like Kirby status, and I'm not saying sure, that. Sure, sure. But I, for me, when I see Kevin Eastman art, I see Caitlin Yarsky art, you see Kirby or stuff, you know, from across like a convention status, or you go into an LCS and you see like, oh, wait a second, wait a second, that that's, you know, that's Jim Lee, or maybe that's... Right, you know exactly what you're looking at, who right. you're looking at. Right, right, right. And so with Yars- with Caitlin Yarsky's art, it was almost like so surreal that it added to the story. You know, mm-hmm. like you could have like Bliss could have been a silent book, and I think it would have been just as deep without yeah. the words based on her, based on Kaylin Yarsky's art. Just because I think her art is it, in Bliss was just as powerful as Sean Lewis's words. Yeah, know? yeah, it was a perfect marriage of, of yeah. art and words. Um, right. Well, I, I could be extremely biased because there is a huge personal connection. We are. But that doesn't make it less yeah. true. Sure, sure. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm so I'm I'm absolutely biased to bliss, but I do think that I think in a non kind of judgmental way, if you were to look at the art of of bliss, you know, you're like, ah, that, that's that's there there it feels personal. The words feel personal. The sure. whole series feels personal. Um, and to me, comic wise, and I I know there you know Dark Knights, Death Metal. There was there was these huge huge stories that happened in 2021 that were way bigger than bliss i get that yeah i i like you said personal stuff that right but you hit it right on the nose that this series i think flew under the radar of a lot of people Mm -hmm. i think it's almost a comic book disservice to not give it a give it a chance you know i mean and there's plenty of things out there especially if you're talking about maybe a more prolific writer like jeff lemire who's always got something going right several something's going there's all there's going to be things that just fly under the radar i mean it kind of just is what it is yeah there's too too much stuff to take in for something not to get there is and that's kind of what like the first high point of 2021 that i want to hit is this ongoing trend of just the embarrassing wealth of awesome non-superhero, non-big two comics that are yeah. out there right now. That's right. It is I if 
you know, you'll of course on in social media and you know in the LCS or wherever, you're gonna inevitably hear comics these days suck. Boo, boo, boo. They were better in the 70s. They were better in the 80s. Whatever, dude. <laughs> there is a stupid yeah. amount of awesome freaking comics out there. I mean, boom, mm -hmm. image, uh, source point, scout, like. All of these, all of these, Valiant, yeah. shout out to our man, Nick. Um, I just, and, and it's not just like these little tiny indie books with creators you've never heard of. There are big names gravitating yeah. over to these publishers that want to play in, in their, in their, uh, in their yard a little bit. Um, Ahoy, right? Yeah. Um, they, they, Aftershock, God, Aftershock Ooh. is like Stupid thick with talent. There's a new Garth Ennis um, uh, war comic coming out in February, uh, like oversized, like the Black Label books at DC called uh, The Lion and the Eagle that looks in insanely good. I mean, just there's literally something out there for everybody right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if your thought process is comics suck now, because they weren't the way they were when I was young, whenever, yeah. whatever decade that was, right? Yeah, yeah. You're just deliberately not looking. Right. And and, I, and the thing is, and I get stuff changes and... Of course. And it should. If, if things didn't change, then the industry would be static mm. and it would eventually get supplanted by something else. Right. Well, the industry wouldn't... Like, as much as I, I'm going to say love, really like, possibly love, um, the 90s. Sure. Man, who, look, we both love the 90s. We're both products of the 90s. Right. But the thing is, can you imagine if comics, especially the way they were written in the 90s and drawn. Right. If they were still the same in that. Now, I'm not no. talking about, you oh, know, I like. Take for example, one of my favorite series um, is Witchblade. Okay, so yeah. it could be early Witchblade. It could be Ron Mars Witchblade. Sure. Just Witchblade. Sure. Can you imagine every female superhero, every female, you know, comic entity being drawn and written like Witchblade? Like, yeah, that would be terrible. And I mean, look. Right. In the 90s, during the bad girls and slash image hype bubble, right. uh, early to mid 90s, that basically was the case, right? Exactly. Um, and like all things, it petered out. Right. But also like all things, it still has a niche audience. Mm -hmm. You can still go out there and find that cheesecake type stuff if that's what you want. Sure. You know? Yeah. And um, and, and sometimes when you're, I know, I know when I'm, digging in you know the dollar bins the quarter bins yeah yeah whatever you got you know i am a sucker for a chromium or die die cut oh color. brother dude that, i mean that that, I'm, that I'm sound gonna... when you flop around a uh a chromium cover just Ooh. yeah yeah man look i've got my i've got my generation x number one yeah. so like <laughs> yeah i remember i, I yeah <laughs> Uh, I, mean, I love that thing. X-Men uh, Omega, X-Men Alpha, yeah, man. Yeah, Marvel yeah, and Image yeah. were the kings of that shit back in the day. Yeah, but, right. Look, times change. Yeah, you got to change. They have to. They have to. But, I mean, look at the diversification of 
not just publishers, but the content from the publishers, right? Mm -hmm. Like you couldn't have told me 25, 25 to 30 years ago that Image, for example, would be putting out a book like Stray Dogs, which we both loved. We had Tony Cleese on the show earlier or last year. And that's actually one of those things I really want to talk about how much I love because Stray Dogs was amazing. It's the comic that nobody knew they needed until they read it. And they were like, oh, my God, I need more of this right now. It was an idea that should not work. It's I, I actually I, I feel the opposite way. I think really? it's an idea that is so awesome. Mm-hmm. I can't believe nobody thought of it sooner. Right, right. And the great thing about Stray Dogs is for all the covers that they did, which mm-hmm. when we had Tony all those homage on, covers, yeah. Right. When we had Tony on and we talked about all the um the homage covers and stuff like that. And I asked, I was like, how does this work? I mean, how does no one stumble upon this? How does no one take, you know, like like Don Bluth and Silence of the Lambs or Stephen King and mm-hmm. go, let's make a story. Right. Even with all the, like the speculation and some of the variant covers are astronomically super crazy high price. Oh, really? You know, speculation be damned, stray dogs. It's right. a magnificent story. Right. Now, other end of the spectrum. Let me, let me, let me, let me sidebar that a little bit, or, or I don't out. know, maybe make a point here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> other end of the spectrum, also an image. Huge year for Spawn. Ooh. Right. Spawn Universe. Spawn three hundred and on. Right. Uh, Gunslinger Spawn. Um, yeah, Gunslinger Spawn. He's got a cowboy hat now. Um, we'll talk about some King Spawn here in a minute. Oh, King Spawn, yeah. Hello, John um, reinventing Spawn. I don't think anybody, A, foresaw that we'd have multiple Spawn titles on the shelves in 2021, oh. and B, that they'd be good, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, Spawn is Spawn is a niche audience comic. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was huge in the '90s, obviously. Back half of the decade, back last few years, and you know, basically on. It's just like one of those books, like Cerebus, for example, that the guy that runs the LCS will order enough copies to fill subscriptions, and you know, two or three, and that's it. And then all of a sudden, it's like shit. We're talking about Spawn, and Spawn is really good. He has, he has a boot. And he's got shoelaces in his face and a big floppy cape that looks sort of like a symbiote. And (laughs) for some ironic, weird reason, um, and magic chains, and he lives in a trash can or something. And (laughs) and (laughs) he's not Grover on Sesame Street. What are you doing? Look, I haven't read Spawn up until recently since like 1998. So forgive me. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I stand strong and a uh, quick, quick jolt to, to semi interrupt you. Um, I do no, think um, that Uncle Todd, as much as I love the Todd father, um, and I'm sure he knows this because he is just the absolute businessman, that Sean Lewis has absolutely rebirthed that franchise with King Spawn. Oh, yeah. Look, it's out my yeah. mind. I'll go up against any Spawn fan. I'll go up against Nick, anybody. 
Sean Lewis has re just breathed breathed a new life into that spawn franchise. Yes. Um, per, with- per his contract, though, Nick is only contractually allowed to talk to us about Valiant. So we better hurry up and start talking about Valiant. Well, you know, the thing is, I love, I love Valiant and video games. So, you oh, know. Hey. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, bringing that all kind of back together, you know, just even speaking from the one publisher, you've got. The yeah. the stray dogs on one end, spawn on the mm-hmm. other end. Saga is coming back. That was a giant announcement earlier this year. I mean, the book itself yes. doesn't come back out until later this month, Ooh. but the announcement that, itself was like literally two years overdue. And um, that comes out. Listen, nerddom is not ready for the second half of BKV and Fiona Staples' magnum opus. Um, I'm like just crapping my pants in anticipation. Right. Like, I lost all control of my bowels. It's it's just a terrible situation. But that's 2022. We're here to talk about 2021. So, um, Mike, <laughs> what else? Yeah. What else was your favorite thing this past year? Oh God, um, so much. Um, I mean, I you know I'm gonna go for another low hanging fruit here on this. Do one. it. Yes. Um, go. I'm gonna go last Ronin. Um, that comic is never going to finish. It's really not. It's going <laughs> to really be doing this shit. Pardon my French kids. Um, in 2025 and um, Kevin Eastman, actually not a fan of the show, but a fan of comic watch. Um, okay. Good sir. Um, he is going to be working on this book with Ben Bishop um, till 2025. And you know what? I'm here for that. You know, there's only one more issue. We have one more issue, and I believe when Zoe starts ninth grade in about 10, 12 years, we should have Last Ronin 5 come out. And well, Last Ronin 5 is the is the 2021-22 equivalent of League of Extraordinary right. Gentlemen number four. I, I may be buying my bourbon from 7-Eleven at that time, but you know what? I'm gonna have I'm gonna have Last Ronin 5 in my my grub. Listen, I gotta tell you, um, as someone who definitely waxes nostalgic for TMNT, sure, sure. but doesn't necessarily keep up with the modern iteration of it, yeah, um, like I ought to be. Sorry, Sophie. Um, Got to read that Sophie TMNT. I man. know, and God, Ooh. City at War was so so good too. Man but, of um, the show, Sophie Campbell. I know, but. You know, I'm I'm like okay, I gotta check this out. You know yeah. what? What's the it's the it's the uh, it's you know whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow for Ninja Turtles? And I was right. like, okay, you know, lots and lots of hype. I'll check it out. And yeah. by golly, all creative team members of the creative team involved really did pull it off. It's not Thank just a, a cheap nostalgic gag. Right. I mean, it one, it's a fully realized story with real emotional arc and that reveal at the end of number one, who truly is the last Ronin, i.e. the last turtle standing hits you like a punch in the gut. And then that slow unwinding throughout issues two, three, and four of what happened to everybody Mm. and how tragically this story turn just makes it all that much better. If you haven't read Ninja Turtles since you were a little kid in 1990, um, Man, this is gonna hit you like a ton of bricks, and we're missing the fifth issue. Come yeah. on, guys! Come on, IDW! But um, man, 
yeah, absolutely. I gotta, I gotta agree with you on this one. This was, this was absolutely a top flight book. Oh, for sure. And, and the cool thing is, um, when I say the great thing is about the last Ronin is even if you, um, aren't into the current series, excuse me, of IDW, um, you can read the last Ronin and not be lost by anything because it no, not at all. I mean, it's completely disconnected, right? It's a standalone, you know, there's no, there's none of the extra characters, you know, there's no Lita, there's no Jenica, the, the kids aren't there. Um, so with the last Ronin, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I've read, you know, when like when it was when, when the last Ronin was announced and uh through like issues one or two there was some weak but semi-valid kind of comparisons to um frank miller's um you know the dark knight and stuff like that of how and i mean yeah it's got that vibe yeah sure and it has that vibe but the thing is it's supposed to have that vibe like this story is over 30 years old you know yeah. Um, and not not to shamelessly plug, but the interview that we did with Kevin Eastman, um, I believe it was in 2020, um, right when right after Ronan was announced, when we did that mm -hmm. interview with Kevin mm -hmm. Eastman, um, and he was talking about this, and he went in depth um, with what him and 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 Peter were kind of going through, and why it was shelved, and now that him and Tom now that Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz want to um, un kind of unearth this story. Yeah. Kevin and Peter Laird, uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird birthed, you know, decades ago and now it's coming to come to fruition, but they want Peter to be involved because it is a story. You know, this is, this is one of those perfect, turtle stories you know that i yeah. think that overall you're gonna you're gonna talk about northampton you're gonna talk about city at war you're gonna talk about the last ronin um even if you're not a turtle fan the last uh, oh, it's the current fan like i said earlier the last ronin stands on its own that is just remarkable storytelling it's remarkable art it is just remarkable and this is strictly unbiased i don't care who you talk to but this is strictly unbiased that this is almost one of those one of those books, one of those series that I don't want to say is damn near perfect, but man, it just hits. Man, it's it's close enough. Man, it hits on all cylinders. And you look at it and you're going, God, you know, Ben Bishop with this art and you know, Waltz and Eastman and Laird and Everybody else, excuse me, because I am forgetting a shitload. Part oh, yeah, yeah, a lot of good talent went into this book, you and know? it's clearly a labor of love. Yeah, it and absolutely. It's absolutely one of those things too, where you just have to, you can't help but be impressed by the fact that they they got Eastman and Laird back on this thing. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, the the guys, the Ninja Turtle guys. Yeah. Um, Laird, and correct me, Mike, if I'm wrong, but I think Laird kind of sold his yep. interests in the Turtles years and years ago, didn't want to have anything to do with them, and right. he's kinda reclaiming his mantle a little bit, and I think yeah. that kicks a lot of ass. Yeah. So, yeah. That, a lot of happy nerds out there. Yeah, I mean, 
the big rift, I mean, between Eastman and Laird, I mean, I think anyone in the the turtle kind of fandom knows about that. Um, mm-hmm. You can actually, if, if you're not in the turtle fandom, you can check out the toys that made us. And they talked to Kevin Eastman and they talked to Peter Laird about TMNT. They talk about the toy line. They talk about the movies. They talk about the, the sell-off. They talk about Kevin Eastman coming back into the turtle spectrum, but Peter Laird kind of kind of laying off. Um, but the last Ronin man, I mean, it. I, I, I see the last Ronin as a collected version. Obviously, it's been fairly thick when it comes all done, you know, five issues. Sure. sure. But, I mean, do I say, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, man, but I think in, as time goes on, I think the last Ronin may be required comic reading. I think it's a little early to say that. Early. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't ever like to count my chickens before they hatch. Yeah. In terms of making grand proclamations like that. But I definitely think that it's one of those books that, you know, five or 10 years from now, you could handle hand to somebody that's maybe never read a comic before and it could hook them. Sure. Sure. And I think an excellent example of the craft. Yeah. And um, yeah, I definitely see that. Now, another book that I think we're going to still be talking about five, 10 years from now wrapped up this last year and that's immortal hulk yes sir um now it's my turn to gush oh um i i have to preface this by saying that there is no incredible hulk run that comes before peter david's it's definitive yeah you're not topping it many have tried many talented people have tried and that's not to knock anybody, but you're just not going to touch it. But my God, Al Ewing came damn close. Yeah. Um, but the, just the, taking the idea of the Hulk himself and, and turning it into a body horror comic that mm-hmm. is also a meditation on the afterlife and good and evil and the subconscious in a way that frankly has never been done before, especially Mm -hmm. not with a big character like the Hulk. I mean, step back from the series a minute, step back from the accolades, step back from anything, you know, other than here's the pitch. We're going to take the Hulk and we're going to turn it into this gnarly body horror comic. Mm -hmm. And it's going to get really weird and trippy at times. Like just the sheer breadth of imagination that sprung from Al Ewing and <coughs> pardon me, the very fact that 50 issues, he pulled it off. He did. You know, Excellent. everything came together in an organic way that left your jaw on the floor and yeah, you could have wanted more, but at the same time you were content and you were satisfied, right? Absolutely. Um, it's just one of those and god love uh, uh alex ross covers holy crap mm-hmm. he turned in some exceptionally once uh, exceptional like his work's always exceptional of course yeah. but the thing is very outside of his normal box because yeah. of the content like i think it's issue 45 or 46 mm-hmm. is the painting of that super emaciated hulk looks like one of those poor people from a famine country okay. um yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's it's hard to look at and yet you know then and this is not alex ross's normal forte mm-hmm. but god dang he just sold it and it's a shame that the artists the series artist joe bennett turned mm-hmm. out to be a giant anti-semite like right towards the series end oh and yeah so there's a little bit of taint on that now because of that but that doesn't diminish the power of the work itself. It taints the one half of the creative team. Yeah. And, you know, Al Ewing and Marvel did the right thing. You know, Marvel's like, we're done with this guy. Screw him. Al Ewing immediately got on social media. was like, no, I'm never going to work with this guy again. Um, And I mean, that was the right thing to do. Yeah. um, But God, Immortal Hulk is just one of those damn comics that we will be talking about five, 10, 15 years from now. Oh, absolutely. To go back what we we talked about on Stray Dogs, we hit on how has this not been done yet. I mean, you Mm -hmm. figure the Hulk is the perfect character for a body horror comic. I mean, yeah, but it's not, yes, but it's not immediately obvious because the more obvious parallel is Jekyll and Hyde. Right, and but that's it's always exactly. kind of been the go-to. Right, I mean, yeah, the Hulk right. is obviously a Jekyll and Hyde story. Let's not yeah. get that. Let's it's not get that. nuclear age Jekyll and Hyde. Right, that's but, how Kirby envisioned it. Sure, and, and for years, and it, it it worked right. Peter David perfected it. Peter David perfected it. Now, perfect. now credit where credits due. Um, his preceding writer, uh, a long-term writer, um, Bill Mantlo. Yeah. is the one that actually established that it was um, Bruce Banner's childhood trauma as a result of his father's abuse and murder of his mom was actually not Peter David's creation, but, right. but, you know, neither here nor there, um, right. just, you know, matter of credit where credit's due, but, right. you know, Peter David took that building block and just made, made a defining run for that character. Right. And, and, and the thing is, it's like the fact that Al oh. Ewing so many years later, you know, God, 20 years basically after the end of Peter David's run finally comes up with something wholly unique that builds on what's come before. And is just this close to being neck and neck in terms of quality um, with that Peter David run. I mean, that that's saying something that's very, very impressive. And, and the, and the cool thing I think about immortal Hulk and do not take this that I am trying to, lesson peter david no no go for it is. but i think with immortal hulk and, and when it's collected and i think they started collecting it already i could be wrong uh there will be an omnibus at some point i mean it's it's sure. 50 issues there's yeah. it fits into an omnibus um but. i think that uh just with the god this sounds so boomerish but i think with the with the modern readers you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying um and God, I, I I was born in '78. I'm really not that old, but I think I think what what Ewing has done with Hulk is going to stand out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. No, no, and I, I think, agree with. I hear what you're saying, and I don't disagree with it because. Right. And I think you could work yourself into. Uh, forgive me for using a sports metaphor, but I think you have Peter David, which is Michael Jordan of Hulk. Okay, and then you have the Al Ewing, which is your 
LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, newer model. Okay. Still great. You know, and you could sit here and argue your case. How about, because- how about Steph Curry? We'll give you Steph Curry. He's less divisive. (laughs) You could still argue your point, and your point's not wrong, but I think it's a generational thing because Immortal Hulk just – it it killed shelves because the thing was – Absolutely. I mean, when's the last time you heard about a comic like it's 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th issue is going into 4th and 5th and 6th printings, right? Like, that's – doesn't happen. I mean, issue 25. Oh, it's on its fourth print. It's yeah. the 25th issue. Why are and we not? And that's not because Marvel was short printing it. So hell yeah, they clearly were they clearly captured lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Um the you know for as much as we talk about oh the, the big two's out of ideas, sure. um, blah blah blah. Um Marvel had a really good year for the most part. They really um, did. They really did. And like I don't I don't want to again, we're trying to keep this thing positive. I don't want to sure. dog DC, but man, Marvel in my mind like just kicked the pants out of off of DC. Oh, for, for sure. Like line, line wide versus line wide. Sure. Right. Of course there's clunkers in there. Yeah, I think um, out of this regular series and especially, you know, special events or miniseries, yeah. however you want to label them, Marvel definitely had the bigger year. And I think that's sad because DC, man, they start off so strong. And this is another one of my favorite things this year was Future State. Oh, yes, sir. Let's Future talk about State, that. Look, man, I'm telling you, when they, when they came out and they said, okay, we're going to replace our whole line with these Future State books from January and February – like my first thought was, oh cool, I don't have to buy any DC books for two months. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Like future state, I don't think I read a bad future state. Well, there was one, and I won't name it by name because uh <laughs> some of the creators involved are friends of the show. But um, no, I'm just kidding. Um it but I don't wanna I don't wanna unnecessary un- un- unnecessarily trash anybody's work, but sure. you know, I think that like out of all the ones I read, and I read most of them, I think there was just one that didn't grab me. Right? Okay. And it was just, you know, whatever. It's my taste versus somebody sure, else's. Sure, Who cares? Sure. Um That's but yeah, th- the idea of showing us stuff in the future just a little bit down the line. And then turning around, you know, back in quote unquote modern times or modern day, whatever. And now we're slow rolling out how we get to the events in future state or possibly don't like that's treacherous because it's kind of, it's a, it's tried and true. Like we've seen storytelling like that before and it's generally just a cheap way to throw cliffhangers out there in a way. Mm-hmm. I've never been a fan of that style of storytelling, but man, Future State just kicked ass. Yeah, and um, there's so like God, we got John Ridley writing some of the best Batman I've ever freaking read, and it wasn't even about Bruce Wayne. Uh, <laughs> like, there's some good stuff that came out of it, mm-hmm. um, and but then like for whatever reason, just kind of throughout the year, all that promise that was be held in future state for me at least a lot of it fell off i mean major exceptions being um 
Philip Kennedy Johnson's action comics is far and away the best thing DC has been putting out in the last year. And then um, the big wrap up to um, James Tinian IV's uh, Batman run with Fear State. I got a question. Yes. Um, Now, I I, I absolutely adore Philip Kennedy Johnson. um, But if we're going to talk about folks... In, in, in teams that are kind of holding up post future state DC, obviously, you know, Philip Kennedy Johnson is up there, but we have to talk about Clunrad and what they've done with wonder woman. Okay. But, yeah. Future- I'm going to be super real with you. I'm going to listen on this one because I am, um, I've not read the Clunrad wonder woman. Oh, like now I'm, I'm, I'm here to say, I'm not going to pit. I refuse to go Philip Kennedy Johnson versus team Clunrad because one, they're two of my favorite teams. And I think they're, they're just wonderful people. They are. They really are. Not um, to Philip Kennedy Johnson, some kind of asshole. <laughs> they're I don't know. Maybe he is. Who knows? But I don't I think, think he is. When, when I met him at Baltimore and that'll come later in the show. Um, uh, a sweet dude, sweet dude. And yeah. um, you know, and, but anyway, but I think that, yeah, Philip Kennedy Johnson on action, absolutely, man. You got to talk about him, but I think not to include, you know, what Becky Clunan and Michael Conrad are doing on Wonder Woman. They're bringing in, they're bringing in. Like, I don't think now, with respect to to Wilson um, and what she's done, you know, with with we you know when she wrote it. And then, then Steve Orlando. Thank you, Steve Orlando. Then Mariko Tamaki briefly. Sure, but what they what Clunrat is doing is doing. No, Dooney. Dooney, <laughs> But what they're doing, I think, is they're they're elevating that story that I don't think we've seen in quite some time. Now, so that's, let me let yeah. me just ask you because, like we just illustrated. Yeah. There's been kind of a revolving door of writers and artists on Wonder Woman in the last right. year or two. But, yeah. And there's always a lot of promise and a lot of hype. And then for whatever reason, it doesn't land or it doesn't connect. Or maybe there's some stuff, some editorial chicanery in the background or you know whatever. But it doesn't land. And it seems like it's been hard for Wonder Woman as a comic to find footing and yeah. keep it. So as a fan, I'm going to ask you as someone that is a fan of what, what Clunrad is doing on the book right now, what is it that they're doing right? That's making it so magical. I think they're taking a leap of faith, but also in a cocky way, because, you know, there's, there's this way, and I say a cocky way and not to sound like, you know, you know, Becky Clunan and Michael Conrad are like the I Ching of, you know, Wonder Woman, you know, writers and artists and stuff. But I think what they bring is a fresh voice to it. And they're taking those bold, daring stories and they're bringing in mythology and they're bringing in things that we haven't seen in Wonder Woman in a very long time. Mm-hmm. They're almost like I know, I know in the first arc she was hanging out with Norse gods or something like that. Yeah, Norse gods. And then we, we started bringing in, you know, mythology into it. And it's just the way that they are doing it that you, you can't look away. 
you you can't stop reading. It's just the way they grab you. It's just the way they sit here and they have a way of telling a story that it may not be the overall best story. When you when you when you gather when you gather up all the Wonder Woman writers and artists and everyone that's worked that's worked on the book. Excuse me. But when you look at what Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad have done with Wonder Woman, I think you really have to look at it and you go, God, they really took a chance on this and it works. And then you read another issue because you're going, well, you know what? They got me on issue such a number. So let me read the next issue. Well, you know what? They got me on a, on this issue. So I'm going to read the next one. And it's, it's almost like that crash that you see on the highway that you cannot look at. You know, and the thing is, yeah, I just remember reading that first issue that Clunrad, if Team Clunrad, if you will, um, did. I'm like, God, the, the, like this is interesting. Like they really grab you, and the, and then as they bring in mythology, you know, uh, part parts of mythology in there, and you're going, God, like no one really has taken Wonder Woman. And put her in these situations, and they're not different situations. They're not situations where right. you go, "Oh, I but hope." It's always like sort of predictable beats with the types of things you can see in a right. Wonder Woman story. Right. Like, it's almost, oh, here's Zeus again. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, here, you know, here's oh. you know, Cheetah. Oh, Ares is up to no good. Right. right. You know, it's almost. It really reminds me what 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 Clune and Conrad are doing. Really reminds me of. Of what um, Daniel Warren uh, Johnson did with Wonder Woman uh, when he did when he wrote uh, his story for Black Label, DC Black Label, Daniel Warren Johnson. Now that's saying um, something because I yeah. really liked Dead Earth. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you when he when 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 Daniel Warren Johnson did Dead Earth, he took Wonder Woman and he kind of molded Wonder Woman. He kept Wonder Woman the same. Right, but he something new. He molded her environment. Right, and that's what Clune Rat is doing. They're, okay, you are getting Diana. You are getting Wonder Woman. Here's your Wonder Woman in this little box, right in my face. I kind of, kind of like line it up, right? But the world is molded. It's expanding. Okay. Later, you've got me intrigued. And they're not afraid to play with the world, and that's super dope, you know? Yeah. And it's like any character that, you know, if you're a writer, if you're an artist and you're ballsy enough to go, yeah, I'll give you Batman. I'll give you the flash. I'll give you, you know, whoever Spider-Man, you can have your ordinary character. This is what you're used to, but everything around that character is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be different. But at the same time, you're going to want to know more. Sure. And that's what really will drive me, will bring me into any story, be it DC, Marvel, Image, Vault, Ahoy, Soyce Point Press, whatever, Aftershock, whatever you got. Yeah. Give me yeah. that normalness, but change some stuff. Change the socks of Batman every now and then. And I'm here for it. And that's what that's what they're doing with Wonder Woman. Absolutely. So I'll tell you what, like you're kind of talking about taking things that are taking the familiar mold and putting it in a, in a new setting. Right. And I, I have to tell you, as an old school fan mm -hmm. of 
just say a particular vintage of DC. Sure. Um, the return of Wally West Ooh. to his rightful place yeah. as the Flash is nothing short of Christmas every day for me. <laughs> for sure. Um, they did my boy dirty when they originally brought Barry back, back in no, Final no. Crisis. He just kind of got shoved off to the <laughs> interlands, and then we knew 52'd it, and he just didn't exist anymore. And then he finally came back in uh, DC Rebirth, and then they didn't know what to do with him, so they, they had him kill a bunch of people in the Heroes in Crisis. And it's like, guys, just make him be the Flash. And hallelujah, he's just the Flash again. And mm. this isn't, Jeremy Adams is writing it, and he's not just doing the obvious, let me revisit the greatest hits from Mark Wade or Jeff Johns. I mean, he's right. really bringing a sense of now. Mm -hmm. Like, here's Wally West, here's his family now. He's still recognizably Wally West. He's my Wally West. He's my Flash. Um, and and he's back where he belongs. You know, Barry Allen is lost out in the multiverse right now. Whatever. I hope Justice League Incarnate finds him. Um, he's That guy's boring, okay? Um, <laughs> just boring. Wally yeah. West is awesome. And... and Thank you, DC, for finally realizing that. Now, if they will just get off their ass and <laughs> get Kyle Rayner back to being Ooh. Green Lantern. I'm here. Grab a ring again. Right now. Um, yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, Jeffrey Horn, he's over there putting John Stewart and, and Joe Moline front and center over in uh, – and Teen Lantern over there in the Green Lantern book, but um, yeah, uh, just th but man, look the Flash, and I mean it's it's good meat and potatoes superhero stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not oh my god the 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 Speed Force is in peril every week. It's hey this guy runs fast and he's gonna fight some bad guys and <laughs> he has a personal life and a personal stake in these things. Uh, it's perfect just blue collar superhero mm -hmm. and you know that's that book action comics wonder woman and i'm gonna throw one more out there and 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 um for dc anyway mm -hmm. and that's actually going to be the wrap-up for um james tenyon's uh second now batman run with uh fear state oh. so if you've been reading Batman, you know, he's been steadily building all these arcs and these narratives and um, it all finally comes together with fear state where um, essentially what he did was perfectly capture the Trump's America zeitgeist mm -hmm. via um, both the magistrate and the scarecrow and I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like James Tenyon's a pretty damn smart guy. So I'm sure there was some intent to the way that he built this and how it works as a metaphor for the current state of America. But I'm not sure if he realizes just how well he hit that nail on the head. <laughs> like fear, state, fear state will absolutely chill you because it's so damn close to things that are happening now or very could easily happen now. 
you know, yeah. we're, we're talking about this on January 5th, 2022, which is 364 days um, after the uh, insurrection on our nation's capital and the assault on democracy, which was a direct result of Trump administration policies and his rhetoric and his lies and his ecosphere's lies. And that's exactly the type of thing that fear state plays into. The magistrate is there to stoke fear. The -hmm. magistrate is there to use that fear to assert control. And then it all goes to hell when Scarecrow is like, you think you know about fear? Let me take this to the next level because I'm Scarecrow. And, you know, Scarecrow elevates to, you know, top tier, A-list, two-faced, Joker level threat. And man, it's just so well executed. It really is. And I, I was I was super sad that Tinian was abruptly leaving Batman after that arc. Um but what a high note to go out on. Oh, absolutely. I, I think and and you, you hit on that when we, we get that elevated scarecrow character. And I think Scarecrow is one of those bat villains that doesn't always get his due shine for being as awesome as he is because yeah as much as i love the joker okay we we get it you know it's the joker it's it's low-hanging fruit for any batman story it's gonna sell books it's gonna sell t-shirts it looks great and hot topic in a window but what they did with scarecrow in that arc really kind of you know, elevated him and mm-hmm. absolutely, and, and really kind of, if you didn't take notice, you know, and I don't mean this as a dig for the for the casual comic fans that may buy only collected works, and this is not a dig at any means, but I think that arc really kind of says, hey, Scarecrow is a absolutely badass list, man. Don't yeah. Act with yeah, don't don't mess with it because I mean, realistically. He is the least bat villain I would want to go up against. You know what I'm saying? Because you can get a you can get over on the penguin, you can get on the Joker, but when you got this guy that can mess with your mind and mess yeah. with your your head, you know, like that. He right? does he he can be 20 feet, 20, 100 feet away from you, away from you, and still kind of you know, and still do his his scare. Yeah, absolutely. He's the only bat villain that can do that. You know, everyone else has to be up close and in combat. And I think that, um, I mean, you hit it on the head. I think that's one of those stories with those arcs that may kind of, uh, fly under the radar for the non-casual fan. Well, and uh, again, fear state was so well orchestrated and executed that like when it, when it when as it was going and as each successive chapter would come out like i would read that chapter and then eventually through to the end of it and i mean i would just get chills and i'd have to sit and contemplate a little bit because it's a, like the best fiction it's sure. not that far from reality yeah and, and that's you know kudos to dc for not shying away from some of the more obvious metaphors that are happening in that comic mm-hmm. and, and not putting restraints on Tinian and his, his fellow creators 
in their storytelling. Now, Tinian's now, you know, basically moved on from DC. He's got his deal with Substack. Um, right, Venom. And, huh? No, no. No, never mind. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it, again, what a high note to go out on. And, I mean, Tinian's just such a phenomenal talent anyway. Um, no, absolutely is. So, you know, talking about his Substack thing, it, it, it makes, you know, Good for him in that he landed that deal, right? Yeah. Like, Substack recognizes his talent. They paid him. Mm -hmm. Good for him. And I, again, we wanted to keep this positive. And yeah. I, I want to just, I don't want to dive too far into this because I have some strong feelings about this. Sure. But um, I can't see a situation where more and more Substack type deals are good for the industry. And yeah. good for readers. Because True. if you're not subscribed to Substack, you're not getting J new James Tinian. Right. Which creates in effect a monopoly. I think I think with Substack, and, and not to get off on a tangent, but I think Substack is that new pair of shoes. I think yes. Absolutely. You know, that are that is very cool. You know, and, and and God forbid that you are the the only kid in school that's not wearing those shoes. Now, and, and not to. No, no, I hear what you're saying. The whole thing. And now, contrast that a little bit, though. Yeah. Because, um, our 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 buddy Scott Snyder, also yeah. a friend of the show, mm -hmm. got a kind of similar deal with Comicsology, yeah. but. All of those comics are um, getting released physically through Dark Horse, and you know it. They're he's still going to be doing other things. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you must have a Comicsology subscription in right. order to read, you know, something new from Scott yeah. Snyder. I mean, for God's sake, just go over to the Image Rack and, and pick up Noctera. Um, right. <laughs> You know, you got to, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, it it's just it's an interesting state, and you know, again, good on these creators that this Substack or you know, Comicsology or whomever recognizes their value and wants to say, here's a boatload of money. Go, go, be creative. Go write the craziest crap imaginable because we know people are going to buy it. That's how much faith we have in you. And email. I, I'm going to leave it at that for now because there's there's uh, there's a whole nother like 30 minutes worth of conversation. I think we could probably dive into. Oh, that. for sure, we could do and, that next. And we want, right? we swore at the start. We we're going to keep it positive. So, yeah. um, Mike, I can't yeah. believe this. We got this far into the show, and you haven't talked about Venom. What? Not Venom. Um, and He's I your boy. Yo, not Venom. Not. Uh... Not Ewing and Ram V coming with that new Venom story. And uh, uh, let's talk about Donnie C and the big finale for for Eddie and the symbiotes and Donnie C. Donnie C. Oh, Donnie Cates. Oh, the guy, yeah, yeah. the guy that brought us new characters. The guy that changed Eddie Brock. The guy that changed Venom as the symbiote. Now, when you say Venom, are you talking about Venom? 
the separate symbiote? Or are you talking about Venom, the classic Eddie Brock character? Um, thanks to uh, DC, that's Donny Cates, not DC Comics. Um, you you got to ask that question now, you know, and which I think is great because you know what, you know, as as one of my favorite characters in comics, I think, I, and and I'm, I'm I'm glad that he has his, this time um, to shine. He's a formidable Marvel character now. He's just not some, you know, side you know, sidestep to Spider-Man. Um, he, he can hold his own, you know, and I think what we've seen, you know, that whole Donny Cates run, we've talked about this numerous times on the show throughout the year. Um, I, my, my reviews, um, you know, and I try to write the reviews where I'm not just kind of, uh, kind of just, you know, falling over the creative team. But when you have such a series it's kind of hard not to fall over the creative team, whether sure. it's art, whether it's words, um, because you took this character that we grew up with, me and you, and we were introduced to, you know, Venom Lethal Protector. You know, the foil covers, the die cut covers, this 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 thing, yeah. this character. The darker Spider-Man. Right. You know, uh, amazing Spider-Man 252, right? And everything after... Um, I believe it was two fifty. Yeah, two fifty two. Yeah. Um, and everything well, after. That's, well, Secret Wars eight, if that's what you're, if that's your, right. Right. Thanks for that's more. That's the track you're going with. Yeah. And so now you know, fast forward to the Donny Cates era. You know, we get that. You know, now we're getting this standalone character. Now we're getting you know just more like, oh, I'm just a you know, I want to kill Spider Man. Well, wait a second. Now, now he has a son. Now he's a tortured soul. Now he's trying to figure out his spot in the world. Now he's yep. trying to figure out how to be a better father. He doesn't want to be Venom anymore. He doesn't want nothing to do with the symbiote. He just wants to be a good dad to yep. his son, and he wants to rebuild that character. But wait, here comes the King in Black. Here comes Null. Here comes all this other shit. Ooh, here comes Absolutely Um, Yeah, here comes Card. Here, here, like, here comes hand-severing fun <laughs> right. on, on Venom Island. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the thing was is I ate so much crow because I remember when Venom Island came, and I'm like, God, we've been here before donny case why are you going back to spider island and it was something completely different and and to kind of go back to what i talked about clune rad doing with wonder woman we still have wonder woman but we don't have the same world as wonder woman mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's what we see with donny case we still have venom we still have eddie brock but we don't have the same world that we are used to seeing eddie brock and <laughs> and in, in, in these series and i think as you read it and as time goes on, and then especially now with what Ram and Ewing are doing with Venom, mm -hmm. holy shit, please. Well, they're, they're taking this new foundation that Donny yeah. Cates established and just saying, okay, we're just going to take it to the next logical step. Yeah. And I'm going back to Cates' run briefly, and I think I mentioned this earlier this year when we were talking about Venom. Yeah. Um, is the most to me the most obvious comparison for Kate's Venom run mm -hmm. is Miller's Daredevil run, and I say that because both runs they honor what's come before, but they fundamentally change our understanding of the character and his world and what what that world is. Right? No. Like, there's look. 
There's pre-Miller Daredevil and there's post-Miller Daredevil, and they're two very freaking different things. The same thing holds true for Venom. Oh, absolutely. Um, You cannot put this genie back in the bottle. There's no going back from this. You can't just get rid of Dylan. You can't just get rid of the King and Black stuff. You can't just have Eddie Brock revert to being this guy that Spider-Man punches in the head every couple issues. Right. it's just not possible unless you're a complete hack. And I don't, I, the fact that Marvel has told Ewing and Ram V, uh, Hey, we trust you just run with this. And they are, and they're taking it to the next logical level. And for God's sake, they got Brian Hitch to draw this thing. Like Brian Hitch on a Venom comic. Is that something we would have ever seen yeah, or thought to it that we'd be seeing 15, 20 years ago? Of course nope. not. No. Yeah, if you, like, and if you say yes, you're an thought absolute so liar. Long. No one thought this. No yeah. one thought this. No. I mean, this is, Marvel is deliberately taking Venom and making it a marquee comic for their yeah. line. Yeah. And, and that's this the thing. This is not precedented. <laughs> at all. And that's the great thing is because it's it, it's kind of like who follows who follows Cates. It's like you said because everything that Cates and Stegman has done through that run, you can't undo. You have right. to keep building on that. They laid, they completely came in, leveled the building that was Venom. They laid a foundation. They gave you about three or four stories of a building, and now they're handing it off to the next artists, uh, writers, creative team uh, in Marvel. Now, the first two were two issues in to Venom of, of the uh, the Ram and uh, Ram V and the Ewing run. And they've they've built onto that, you know, and you're sitting here, you read like, oh, OK, well, we still have Dylan. OK, so now Dylan is trying to figure out his place in this world. Right. Oh, by the way, he's Venom now. He doesn't want to be Venom, but he's Venom. And now, you know, Eddie Brock is no longer Venom. Eddie Brock is Captain Universe slash <laughs> the King in Black. So not, so he is like super strong. He's, he's, he is in control of the hive mind. Where do we go from here? Because yeah. So now a you Venom can't just tell the quote unquote same old Venom stories now. Right. You know, it's going to go out and lethally protect the neighborhood. Right. And, and what fight happens? Right. And what yeah. happens when Venom slash Dylan Brock goes up against the King in Black slash Eddie Brock, his mm-hmm. dad? It's yeah. going to happen. It has to happen. Well, in, in the, the neat thing about this new run is Ram V and Al Ewing are such cerebral writers. Yes. Like, they're not writers that you wouldn't think to immediately pair with Venom, right? No. Like, Donny Cates is a very, he's smart, but he's also a very, I don't want to say lizard brain because that sounds reductive, but he's a very action-oriented writer. Yes. Right? Yep. Absolutely. I don't think action oriented at all when I think about Ram V and Al Ewing. I yeah. think about contemplative stuff like Blue and Green. Yeah. Or, um, oh, Immortal Hulk. Coincidence. Right. 
Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, like these are that it, to me is the clearest signal that Marvel <laughs> is like, okay, we're gonna we've committed to this path, and we're gonna keep going down it, and we're gonna keep continuing to hammer away at this redefinition of who and what Venom is. Yeah, and the thing is, is something like this because you have two very different approaches to venom um nice back scratcher by the way oh yeah dude listen uh but skin is dry it's the air yeah, is very yeah, it's dry right yeah no worries, no worries. But, i forgot to mute <laughs> just at least i didn't bust ass when i just forgot completely to mute broke my concentration anyway um where's that oh yeah so with donny cates you have this multiple just out of control forest fire burning of a story, you know, and it's just, here's the flames. Here's everything. Do what you will with it. I've done my part. I'm, I'm fine with this, but with Ewing and Ram V, I think what we're seeing in the first couple issues is a very different, very slow burn that, you know, I, I if I remember correctly, we left off with Dylan kind of being surrounded by, um, Oh, what is his name? Military folk. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the 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 mayor's name from the. But either way, McCheese. Yeah, what's that? McCheese, Mayor McCheese. McCheese. Mayor McCheese. Yeah. Um, kind of. We talked about this. I think we covered this a few shows ago. Um, where it's very X Men ish, where they're you know they're they're battling against the symbiotes and. You know, this mm -hmm. and that. They found Dylan and they found Venom and they found, you know, Venom as a whole and they were kind of closing in on him. But that's what I absolutely love that the fact that we, we, we came from a huge forest fire, just out of control forest fire of holy shit, what's happening with this, with, with Venom, this beloved character that we grew up with essentially. And now we have the slow burn. You yeah, know, we, we we ripped through, you know, what 35, 40 issues of the Kate Stegman era. Yeah, 30. Was it 30? Yeah, 30. 30? 30, 30 so, plus five issues for King and Black, plus how many issues, however many issues Absolute Carnage was. I think yeah. all five. So I guess 40 altogether if you want to count those in there. We'll go 30. So we we burned through thirty issues and we're like, holy shit, what happened? And now we got these two issues where it's like it's a controlled burn. Sit down, sit down. Let's roast some marshmallows. Let's sing kumbaya. Let's hold hands. Let's talk about some stuff. You know, there's no need to read on. There's no need to. And I think that's what the character needed because we got new characters. We got. Not one, but two miniseries that roped in, actually three technically, um, with Venom Island. But we had these two to three series that kind of roped into the storyline, you know? And, and we're just like, oh, another Marvel storyline. But wait, 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 wait. No, because it's still Kate's writing it. So it's different, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's yeah. not like we're sitting here... And we gave it to different people to write. I mean, Kate still continued to kill it issue after issue after issue. Well, and there's really a handful of times 
that immediately spring to mind where like this, like Kate's and Venom or Miller and Daredevil, where quite simply a writer and or creative team comes along and just utterly flips the script and uh, completely redefines completely moving forward our understanding of this character. You know, Miller Daredevil, I'm thinking Morrison with Animal Man and um and i'm sure there's like just maybe a handful of others that oh well of course um claremont on x-men yeah and really i I, like there's just not as many that come to mind that that strike like that and so i mean really the cape run of venom is in rarefied air i mean could we nitpick some stuff about it sure whatever but Oh, Alan Moore Swamp Thing. That was the other thing I was thinking about. There's there's before more and there's after more. Yes. Um and uh, I mean you that it just does not happen often. And it's so cool when it does happen. And I really hope that Marvel sticks to their guns and doesn't find a way to undo all this or retcon it or have a secret war and we forget about it. And, you know, in, in 20, this time next year, Spidey's back to fighting venom, mm-hmm. you know, swinging around New York or whatever. And I really and truly hope that they stick to their guns and allow these intelligent, creative, cerebral writers to just do their damn job and mm-hmm. tell a story that nobody's expecting. Right. And, and I think that's the great thing is like, and that's what we haven't seen a lot of times, especially from, and not to nitpick on the big two, sure. but I think that is the downside of the big two is that sure. they want to sit here and we get it. It's, they have to play it safe to a certain sure. degree. And and for DC, it's it's Superman, it's Batman, yeah. it's Wonder Woman. You're never going to have, you know, the death of Superman is never going to be permanent, right? Right. Like, of course right. not. But, but, the thing is, but every so often you get these low hang or well, high hanging fruit characters mm-hmm. in a sense that maybe they're on the verge of cancellation. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just kind of third or fourth tier characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some, some lucky so-and-so is told, Dude, just go hog wild. See if you can gin up some interest in this. Well, yeah, it's it's just like when we take our dog to the dog park, right? We go into the little fenced-in area, and at first he has a leash on just because mm-hmm. and he's, he's an older pooch, you know, but he, he normally, 98% of the time, plays fair. Um, and, and that's what the big two feels like a lot of times is when you take them to the dog park. You take, you know, we're taking our favorite characters to the dog park, and what we want to do is when we go to the dog park, we want to unchain that leash. Yeah. But when DC doesn't let us unchain that leash. Right. So what you get is, you know, you get Batman, but you're like, I want Batman. But, oh, wait a second. We get 12 issues of him sitting in the Batcave. What the flip? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Well, I mean, you get. And, and give us something that we can seek our teeth in. We get well, Batman. Like Fear State, right? What's that? Like Fear State. Sure. You don't get fear state very often, right? Right. And I mean, these things are cyclical too. You're going to have it go out so far, so radical for so long. 
And now we've got Josh Williamson writing the main Batman book. And he's an okay writer. He's not bad. I don't have anything against him. Sometimes he hits, sometimes he misses. And two issues in on his run so far. And it's it's enjoyable. It's fine. It's serviceable. It gets the job done. Absolutely. Uh, I don't throw it across the room when I read it or anything like that. But we're not reinventing the wheel. It's just good storytelling. Yeah. And that's fine. And you're always going to have to expect that to a certain degree with the big two because they have to protect the IP, which is what makes the curious case of the X-Men in recent years all that much more curious because I cannot freaking believe that we are three years post Hoxpox and this thing is not only still going, but it is fixing to enter the new phase, the next phase, the post Jonathan Hickman phase, and they are showing no signs of letting up. Has and it been that long since Hawks Pox? Has it been three Brother, years? it was three years ago. Holy cow. Yeah. I tell you no lie. Um yeah. It was it was late 2018. I mean Hawks Pox is some good reading right there, but I'm not even a huge X-Men fan, but man of Hawks Pox isn't some good reading. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hawks Pox is man, it, it it's just crazy. Like Talk about completely reinventing the wheel. Marvel just threw everything you think you know about the X-Men out. And in doing so, completely reinvented their entire freaking line. Uh, That's like if they took Age of Apocalypse and just said, nope, this is the world the X-Men live in now. Everything else is done. Yeah, but that's, that's essentially what they did, and it's yeah. working. It's yeah. working so well that even with the main architect Jonathan Hickman mm-hmm. exiting stage left now, they're still running with it. I mean, shit, power to them. Do yeah, some sure. weird, do the weirdest crap you can imagine with the X Men, please. Well, and the weirdest thing, and and the greatest thing, and and once again, the reason <laughs> we talked about earlier in the show, like we know what Nightcrawler, Cyclops name an x-men we know what they can do we know their powers we know their stories but change that world show me what they do when 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 shit isn't monday through friday yeah show me something different we understand what they can do we got their history we get that part we show me something different they change the world just like you're talking about with wonder woman it's the same characters and everything else is different right bring in a talking flipping tree and i'm here with i am here i see tree beard in x-men i am here bro (laughs) yes as the all hail krakoa um and i mean not for nothing but dude the x-men line has been Stupid thick no, with talented no, writers and artists. Since yes, I mean, my God, there's not a single. Well, maybe one. There's almost not a single writer or artist worth their salt that is just not coming up with the craziest crap imaginable. I mean, look, I am not the biggest Tenny Howard fan, but mm-hmm. you know, God love her. She just dug right into Excalibur and said, "I'm yeah. making this book my own." Here's my little crazy magic corner of Krakoa. I'm going with this. And, and I love the fact. You know what? I got to say, I got hats off to her 
Yeah. Um, those la- the last few issues where everything finally starts kind of coming together and war on other world type stuff. I was genuinely enthralled and could not wait for the next issue. And, and I was like, damn, and- do I need to go back and reread Excalibur now? Because she was clearly planning some stuff out that I just didn't see coming together. So, I mean, hats off. And the thing um, is, the great but, thing about that is like, you know, the X fan base, and I say this as nicely and as calmly as possible, they are just as toxic at times, at times, kids, look what I'm doing in, quote, in quotation marks, at times, can be just as toxic as the Star Wars fan base. Sure, sure. Which but Star Wars you know is what? But the thing Man. is, the writers, they have really stand the test of time. They have said, listen, we're going to take your beloved characters. They're still the same. But the thing is, we're going to give them a ham sandwich and they're kosher. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Um, it I, I can't disagree with that. I mean. And it works. I think, I th- and I mean, honestly, you know, three years ago, Hawks Pox, we're all having a little bit of shock. Yeah. Like, what the hell are you expecting me to, 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 to get into here? There's yeah. like. They're all dying and oh now they're being resurrected. And um but and of course everybody predictably flipped their shit when it was all first going down. Right. But man, you know, everything cooled off, everyone kind of kind of caught the vibe a little bit. And I mean, now this is what the X-Men are. Yeah. And as long as it remains the huge, huge cash cow for Marvel that it's become in the last three years and steadily line wide maintained, yeah, um, I don't see them going back. In yeah. fact, if it, it may not really surprise me if the Krakoa version of the X Men is what we eventually see debut in the MCU. Sure, I mean, and why not? I mean, it's it's. It's, I don't want to say it's beloved, but it's starting to, as as time wears on, it's become more accepted and it's become almost, well, I mean, now it's, uh, and dare I say, it's that, it's that ring bear. It's that standard X-Men story now that, you know, for better or worse, the movies and the comics feed off of each other. Sure. Absolutely. They do. And some, you know, it, it, it is reciprocal. And that's what's going to happen when you've, you've got the mouse house as your corporate overlord and they're going to milk that IP for all it's worth. And I mean, it is what it is, sure. but shit, if we're going to keep getting good comics like this out of it. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> and any day of the week. Yeah. Monday through any Monday. Any day of the week. So, uh, man, we've been going for like almost 90 minutes now, Mike. Do you have anything else that was your favorite thing this year? I mean, I, I honestly had a bunch of good things this year. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about a lot of them, but man, we didn't talk about Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil. Uh, or or the, at least the first two issues that have come out so far of um, uh, Devil's Reign. Yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about Beat Spy- Amazing Spider-Man Beyond. Well, we I, did, I mean, gosh, there's so many I'm going to hit you real quick with a deep cut that we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about Brew Baker. Or I'm, gonna, I'm sorry. Not, yeah. No, not Brew Bakers. I'm sorry. But we didn't talk. Oh, my God. I can't remember. Are you, are you talking about you talking about uh, Chris Condon and, and nope. Jacob Phillips, that Texas you, boy? You, you, hold on. Nope. Hold on. 
Because that's definitely something we should have talked about. Hold on. You had a list. I saw it. I did. I have a list. And I'm I am completely um I am completely you futzed it. Oh my god, keep talking. So we look professional. Just sing a song by Wu Tang Clan or something. Shit. Help me oh out. gosh, you don't want that. Yes, um, well, sing a George Strait from Oklahoma. Just because I'm in Oklahoma doesn't mean I'm going to sing George Strait. Jesus, Strait's. man, help me out, man. You see, oh I'm my gosh, here on the internet. Are you talking about? Are you talking about? Um, uh, Tommy Taylor's Nightwing. No. Are, are, you talk, are you talking about Friday by Ed Brubaker? Thank you. It is Ed Brubaker. Friday, the humble bumble, the humble bundle. No, no, you said bumble. I didn't. It's not like it's live. Thank you. It's not like we have one viewer looking at this, probably going, oh, hey, the bearded fat kid doesn't know his comic people. I so, think it's a bumble. Nah, the humble bumble. But yeah, Friday, man, the uh, humble bundle which is uh, still going on, uh, Friday was really cool, you know? Yeah, Friday yeah, it's really different. Cool. Really, I mean, just really different for Brubaker. Yeah, right? it really was. Like, it still was like... in his crime fiction wheelhouse, but a completely different take. Yeah. And I think in the, um, and God, Marcos Martin on art. Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah, I want more Friday in, like, right now. Yeah. Uh, he, he's basically, it's his take on like an encyclopedia Brown type story yeah. and very good. Encyclopedia uh, Brown. Okay. okay. Yeah. Are yeah. Was that no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> it, uh, my late afternoon coffee may or may not be starting to wear off, but, um, yeah, Friday is really cool. It came in this weird size little, like, I don't know. Smaller than a comic, but larger than a pamphlet mm -hmm. comic. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but yeah, super awesome stuff. It's it's like it's less crime focused and more mystery focused, I guess. Yeah, very yeah, is a good very, way to put it. Very gumshoeish. Yeah, and it's yeah. um, it's basically PG thirteen. I think there's a, I think there's a couple four letter words in there, but. You know, no. nothing, nothing terrifying that these these middle school kids haven't heard a hundred times on the on the bus, <laughs> on the Twitter, on the Twitter. That's right. That's right. So, but man, um, I gotta say, like twenty twenty one wound up being a really really strong year for comics. Sure. Um, I, I you know we could probably go on for another ninety minutes if we wanted talking about the things that we love, but in all, you know mountain of shit that 2021 was writ large there was good stuff in there mm -hmm. and Absolutely. i mean it's 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 kind of i don't want to say it's our obligation but it's you know something that we we feel like we we ought to do to just say hey you know forget that that gnarly nasty crap for a little while let's just talk about stuff that makes you feel good mm -hmm. and um you know we get to do that more or less every week on this show so you know mike my, my my Hats off to you for uh, putting up with my crap every 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 week ish. you get some great hey, hair. Listen, listen, it is very good hair. It's I get a, I get it cut every month. Yeah. Um, I'm actually jealous because I'm starting to lose mine at 43, and you got a full head of great 
pomade. It's listen, it's it's not even really thinning yet. I got it, and I'm at 41. So shit, I'm man. Lucky. Now, see, I'm getting to that stately stage where I've got odd gray hairs just popping up in random places. Yeah. And um, it it gives me a sort of dignified gentleman look. Well, and no, I'm yeah. down with that. Like, if you you know, those touch of gray commercials where, yeah. where you, like, you comb that crap into your hair and it brings some of the color back, but not all of it. And that's where I'm at, only ooh natural. So, so you're sitting in the shower, gonna wash that gray right out. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so that's it for us this week. Oh, it is gonna be. Oh, yes. Oh, go ahead. Oh, wait a minute. It is not. Uh, that is not it for us this week. We, even though comicwatch.comic slash or comic dash watch.com is all done. On a voluntary basis, we are uh, getting some uh, some sponsorship help. We, oh, we, absolutely! Yes, we do want to throw our sponsors out there. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, we got Frankie's Comics, which mm -hmm. you can visit at frankiescomics.com. Uh, Carson's Corner, which you can visit at carsonscorner.com. That is Carson's with a K, K A R S O N S corner.com. And then Lemon Juice McGee's Comic Cavalcade, which you can visit at LemonJuiceComics.com. Even though me and Matt and everyone else is doing this voluntarily, we do need some help. And Frankie's Comics, Carson's Corner, and Lemon Juice McGee's Comic Cavalcade are absolutely helping us by sponsoring us. And um, and we thank them. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. We don't thank them often enough. Shame on us. But, um, you know, we couldn't do this um, without a little background sponsorship in there. So, yeah, yeah hats off to them. Hats Absolutely. off to uh, our listeners. Uh, we promise in the year 2022 we're going to do a better job of getting our shows on to uh, uh, Spotify et, et al. in a more timely fashion. Right. It is a uh, slow-burning process. We are trying as fast as we can. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And we also are uh, reposting these episodes via link on the site itself, yep. typically the Monday after they air. So you can always check them out there as well. So um, next week, we don't know. Maybe we'll talk about things we hated in 2021. Probably not, because we want to keep that positive vibe going. Right. But um, until then, thank you all so much for listening. I'm Matt. This is Mike. And uh, this is the Comic Watchers Show. Until next time. Uh, support your local comic shop, read something cool, and above all, be good to each other. Thank you and good night.